Koinonia, Christian Fellowship, Communion with God and with Fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia, this is community. I'm Tom Brown and your host today, Pastor Mark Buckley. Welcome to Koinonia. It's great to be with you today. In the studio with me is Bill Thrall, one of the leaders in the body of Christ in this great valley of the sun we live in. Bill, thanks so much for coming in. Mark, it's my privilege. Thank you. So um, not everybody knows you by name, so give us your background. Tell us how you started following Jesus. Years and years ago when I was a boy, a gentleman named Gus Quint Mm -hmm. introduced Jesus to our home by taking two of my older brothers to a Bible camp. And my older, one of my older brothers became a believer and came home to tell us about Jesus. Really? We'd never heard about Jesus. One of the miracles of God's grace is that years later, I got to marry Gus's daughter, Grace. Really? Yeah. So that was how we, because we... Where, now, where were you living? In Milwaukee. Uh-huh. Both of my parents were alcoholics. We, we had a very hard first mm-hmm. eight or ten years of my life. But Gus was just this faithful, faithful lover of God and yeah. shared his life with us. He wasn't a pastor. No, he wasn't a pastor. He was a work, he was a businessman, but who just wanted to make his life count. Exactly. So every Friday night he would have a boys club. Uh-huh. And kids, three kids from everywhere. He would just love on us. And then he was quite adventurous. In the summer, he would take us to Bible camp in Minnesota from Milwaukee. With just him and 20 to 25 kids. Are you on, kidding? On a train. <laughs> on an all-night train. Wow. Oh, it was just, it was. Was he picking up the tab for part of it? He was, and he got a lot of other people to yeah. donate. And uh-huh. we went to this Bible camp, and and that's where I first. He ran the whole program. <laughs> he was amazing. He was just an amazing man. And and uh, so that's how I first came to know about the Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually came to Christ as a teenager. Mm-hmm. After I graduated from high school, uh, my brother Al asked me if I'd like to come to Milwaukee to work with him, paint houses. That's mm-hmm. what my family did, my father, my older brothers. And I said yes under one condition, that he didn't preach to me. Really? Yeah. So you, you had accepted the Lord as a kid, but now you're a strong young man and you're going to be independent. Absolutely. Doing my own thing. Yeah. And, uh my brother said yes, but he didn't tell me he had ten other guys prepared to do it. <laughs> it was a it was a fabulous summer. I got to work with all four of my older brothers really? some part of that summer painting houses, and on one August, it was actually August eleventh, my brother Al came around the side of the house and he looked at me very very sincerely. He said, "Bill, what are you going to do with Jesus?" And it was just the Holy Spirit just cut right to my heart. Mm-hmm. We went home to his house and. I got on my knees at his couch, and although I don't have it memorized, the essence of my prayer was something like this. I'm inviting the eternal God into my life. It must make a difference. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, I wasn't being arrogant. It just mm-hmm. was obvious to me. I knew some kids in high school said they were Christians, and they looked like the unhealthiest kids I'd ever met, and I didn't want that. Mm-hmm. So I just had this sense, even in my prayer, that, that I'm— in a relationship with the eternal God, most of which I didn't understand at all. Yeah. But six weeks later, I'm in Bible college. Really? Oh, my gosh. Uh, you didn't waste any time there. Oh, the, the president of the Bible college also lived in Milwaukee. Now, how old were you then? 17. 17 years old. And uh, 
the president of the Bible college took me to a Bible camp for a week, and it was very disorganized. So he took me golfing every afternoon. All right. You know, that's a good idea. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Okay, we're going to stay. Hold the thought because we're going to continue this interview in just a minute. My guest is Bill Thrall, and uh, he's become a man of God that's influenced thousands of people all over the world. We're going to find out about his ministry, hear more of his testimony. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. With me in the studio is Bill Thrall, and uh, he's leading a ministry some of you are familiar with called True Face. He's the founder of the Open Door Fellowship here in the Valley and uh, done some amazing things. Bill, you were just telling us your story about how you gave your life to Christ. You started Bible college six weeks after making that commitment. Tell us about what happened. Well, uh, the president, as I was saying, of the college took me golfing and talked about Jesus the whole time, mm-hmm. and he asked me if I wanted to go to school, and I said, sure. And I actually got to the Bible college before my transcripts from high school did. I really? Was, I was already accepted. Uh, it was an amazing place. Um, I learned I loved the Word of God. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it. I just— You were hungry, only, huh? I was only 17, but oh my gosh, did I devour it. And— it was at that school when I was then 19 that I had, at that point, uh, the most profound time with the Lord I'd ever had. I, you know, you sense his presence, you sense his message, and for me, it was just this profound sense of destiny. I just had, in that time, a great sense that somehow, in some way, God had a plan for my life. Yeah. And, and I didn't even know what to do with it. I, mm-hmm. I just didn't even tell anybody. Mm-hmm. About two weeks later— well, It was an encounter with the Holy Spirit, it, it really sounds was. like. It really was. And I, I didn't know—I honestly didn't know what to do with it. Mm. It was so real to me. I mean, it just changed my life. I, it just gave me purpose. And, and about two weeks later, the uh, principal, the president of the school, his secretary, asked me to come in. I thought it was to talk to him about something I'd done yeah. wrong. And she said, no, you're not here for him. You're here for me. I said, Eleanor, what do you mean? She said— Bill, I think God's hands on your life. I'm now 19. And she says, I'm going to pray for you every day the rest of my life. Wow. Mark, she, she prayed for me for over 30 years. Wow. I don't pray for me every day. Yeah, yeah. I don't pray for anybody every day. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she did. Yeah. And it was amazing how much the Lord used that yeah. in all my developmental years. So I ended my schooling early because my father had a heart attack. And I had to go home and, and literally support my father's family. I still had three siblings at home. How many kids were in your family? Nine children. I'm nine. The, I'm the seventh of wow. nine. Wow. And I literally got my father's job in Tucson. And I was the foreman at 19 of a paint project. And I was, uh, there's 100 stories there. But 
But I worked. So you left the Bible college. I did. Left sort the Bible of college. suddenly then. Suddenly, no? oh yeah, because um, they had no income. I literally had my Mark. I literally had my father's job. He paid us every week in an envelope with cash in it. Mm-hmm. I would take my envelope home to my mother. I honestly do not know how much I made. I would just give her the envelope with the cash in it, and she would give me $10 a week for my... Wow. And I did that for seven months. Yeah. It was, it was wonderful. I, no, no, But no that's complaints. family. You that know, family. That, that's just, family. And your mom was grieving, I'm sure, oh, as, no matter how difficult their marriage had been. Yeah. And, and, and my dad got well after his heart attack. He didn't pass really? away. He got well and actually became a believer through the process. Wow. That would be one man, those of us who knew the Lord would say, he's never going to come to the Lord. Yeah, he yeah. Did. And he lived the last 20 years of his life a really committed believer. What talk a joy of, that had to be for you. Talk about the miracle of God's grace. Yeah. So then I went to college, mm-hmm. met my wife uh, while, I, we were, while I was in college, and I became and a— And what what—at the— I started at, at University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. ended up at the University of Arizona because I couldn't afford yeah. state tuition, and I got a degree in accounting. And my first job was with a CPA firm, and I became a CPA, and I worked for about 10 years as a CPA. Did you enjoy that? I loved it. The last couple of years, I actually was the deputy auditor general for the state of Arizona. Really? Yes. And a lot of people don't know this, Mark, but when I had that job, I, you may have met anybody like me, I once arrested the sheriff of Pima County. <laughs> I think you could arrest the current one and I wouldn't be disappointed. Exactly. <laughs> so, so that was... Uh, that. Because of uh, irregularities? Irregularities. Just a, a big story. A lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> So, so it was while I was working with the Deputy Auditor General mm-hmm. that the early 70s hit America. Yeah. And we were already working with young high school and college kids. Now, had you moved from Tucson to Phoenix? Yes. Yeah. And, and we were— now, you, Let me make sure you get, yeah. I get this straight. Your wife, wasn't she the daughter of— the daughter of the, of the uh, man that introduced Jesus to our home. Wow. Oh, my gosh. What a privilege. And th- but you didn't connect with her, really, until you got to University of Arizona. Yeah, to University of Wisconsin. Oh, we University went to school of together for a okay. year. Okay. We got engaged, and I spent a year in Tucson. She spent a year in Wisconsin. Okay. And then we got married, and I still had to finish school. Yeah. So uh, she quit school to go to work so I could finish school. It was just wonderful. Uh, just an amazing thank and you, how, God, how many years time. have you been married now? 55 years. That looks good on your resume, Bill. Oh, my gosh. By God's <laughs> grace. By and, God's and, grace. And uh, we'll skip ahead for just a minute. How many kids and grandchildren do you have? We have uh, three children, nine grandchildren, and one great-granddaughter. Really? And a bunch of them love Jesus. Oh, they? just uh, the miracle, really. I'm going to just digress and tell you a great story. Okay. Uh, our family, for many years, every other Thanksgiving got together, the whole bunch of us, all 17 of us when we're all together. Uh-huh. And I was sitting at the counter of this big home that people let us use up in uh, Breckenridge. And I started, tears just started pouring down my eyes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was tears of joy. I never experienced anything like that before. My wife was sitting next to me and she looked up at me and she said, what's wrong with you now? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you bothered now? We exactly. should, you should feel blessed. <laughs> but the kids are all out in front of us. And I yeah. said these words to her, it makes me emotional. I said to her, honey, um, look at our children's children. Do you realize that none of our children's children have the compulsive diseases of my 
original sibling family. Yeah. That's, that's God's grace, Mark. Yeah. And that was, so our children love the Lord. They married people who love the Lord. And our grandchildren are, almost all of them, really in love with Jesus. It's just, it's an amazing, amazing That's a life. lot of grace. Bro. Oh, my gosh. That is a lot oh of gosh. grace. So you spent 10 years in, as an accountant, and then uh, the Jesus movement hit yes. in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. What, what, what had been your church experience when you were here in the Valley or over the years, we, and, then, and we, then what happened? We have a, uh, our background is with a, a small group called the Assemblies, mm-hmm. and, and that was where God's— Not the Assembly of God, no, but another a, group. It's another group called the Assemblies, and we were part of that. Small mm-hmm. churches all over the world— mm-hmm. And we were there, my wife and I, for 10 years mm-hmm. here here in Phoenix, just doing ministry with youth. Yeah. And it, Mark, it exploded. We, we, had, we had befriended some young musicians. Uh, hippie movement hit. Mm-hmm. They became rock and roll Christian groups. They were like magnets. We, we were in Encanto Park. We went all over the state. I mean, it was amazing. We saw literally hundreds of young adults come to Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, it, it was. And it w- that is a move of God when that's Oh, happening. it was. It mm-hmm. was. And, and so what happened was my, uh, my career, my, uh, then the Auditor General said to me one day, you can't keep doing both. Yeah. He said, you're going to have to decide one or the other. And I went home and I said to my wife what he had said. We sat at our kitchen table and we cried. We didn't have a plan. We had mm-hmm. no idea, but we knew it was God's time for us to do something. Yeah. And he was an old school, oh, my gosh, if he found out you were leaving, he would fire you. On the yeah, yeah, you walk know. out of your office right. carrying so, nothing. So, yeah. so Monday morning, I come into work, and he looks at me, and he said, don't tell me your decision. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't want to be trapped. He said, I know I'm going to get trapped by my own rules. <laughs> and he helped me find a job at a local CPA firm. Mark, I worked 25 hours a week. Never worked a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Really? Never worked a day in June, July, or August for two years. Well, that's a gift from God right there. Oh, it was was God's provision. We didn't have a plan. Yeah. But the move, and then we started a ministry uh, called Hand in Hand, Mm -hmm. which was an outreach outreach ministry every Friday and Saturday night. Where were you meeting? God gave us this old church of God on 28th Street and... Indian School, just south mm-hmm. of Indian School on Fairmont. It was just, it was ideal yeah. because it was nothing but a big empty shell. Mm-hmm. And so we took out everything and put carpeting down, squares of carpeting uh-huh. that... Uh, that worked fine in the 70s. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> ideal. We had big murals on the wall, yeah. barn coating, a new stage. Uh-huh. It was, it was at every Friday and Saturday night. It was packed inside really? and out, inside and out. And, and so you had worship time, and then you'd share the word. So always the gospel. One yeah. of us was always prepared to let the kids know how to come to Jesus. And our plan yeah. was very simple. Uh, if you came from the XYZ church and you brought friends with you, if they mm-hmm. came to Christ, they went home with you. Yeah. And they went yeah. back to your church. But what happened was a lot of the churches weren't ready yet yeah. for the fruit of our ministry. Right. The hippies, you know, the yeah. long-haired guys and yeah. the mostly clothed girls. Mm-hmm. I have no idea why girls didn't wear their underwear back in mm-hmm. those days. But it was it, the mm-hmm. churches said no. And, and one horrible, horrible morning, uh, my wife and I were a little late getting to this church. And uh, 13 of our 
group were in the parking lot. The girls were crying. The elders would not let them in the building. Really? They would not, Mark. So that was the message to you, huh? Oh, we went home, sat in our living room, and said it must be time for us to start a church. Yeah. And we had no church in our plans, none. Yeah. We were all about outreach. Yeah. I'm silly say to people, six months I couldn't spell pastor, now I are one. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't expect that. And so 15 of us started Open Door Fellowship. And uh, it was just, for me personally, the next eight years were the most delightful years of my life that I'll ever, ever experience. They, they were, Mark, they were beyond wonderful. That's so neat. We, I'm gonna, I, when we come back after this next break, I'm going to tell you a parallel story of what happened to us in Northern California. Really? In, in, so stay tuned to our listeners. I'm talking with Bill Thrall. He's the founder of Open Door Fellowship and True Faced and, and a lot of ministry over the years here in this valley. I hope you're enjoying this interview. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. With me in the studio is Bill Thrall, founder of Open Door Fellowship. So, Bill, uh, you were telling the story of how Open Door started, and uh, I'm in Marin County. Um, this is like 1973, and we're, we had been leading kids to the Lord all over Marin County for several years and started different Bible studies and discipleship houses. But just like you, when you... When we started uh, leading these kids to Christ and they'd be faithful in our meetings, then they'd start going to local churches. Some churches would want them for their youth pastors or whatever. And we're, we're seeing the fruit dispersed and it's not all sticking in, right. the new ch in the churches because the churches are still playing organ music and stuff that right. the kids don't relate to. So we started our church called Church of the Open Door. No, yeah. Mark, I've never knew that. You didn't know that. Oh. Well, oh my and, gosh. And, and we started a whole bunch of churches called Church yeah. of the Open Door in Marin County and Sonoma County and San Francisco. But then when I moved to the Valley, suddenly in 1984, you guys had the name Open Door, right. and that's how we ended up with Living Streams. Oh, I did not know yeah. that. What a great story. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, God was using us. Yeah. Separate from each other, That's but, right. but together. That's right. Together. So continue on with your story. You, you started the church. Where'd you meet? And, and what happened with it over those eight years? Well, we, uh, we met at the Hand in Hand building. Mm -hmm. And primarily, we never wanted the audience on Friday and Saturday night to know there was even a church there. We yeah. did not want to take kids away from their Yeah, churches. you wanted to let what God was doing continue. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so we met, um, and God blessed it. Uh, you know, we went from 15 to 50 to a couple of hundred yeah. and then over a thousand in just a very short period of time. And uh, I was the, quote, preaching pastor mm -hmm. and um, and I was the director of Hand in Hand. Mm -hmm. And so we, we were just 
all involved. And then from that, God blessed us, and, and many people in the Valley know about Kit Danley and the Neighborhood yeah, Center. Well, yeah. that came out of our ministry. When, when did that develop? Oh, my gosh. She was with us way back in the middle 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, I started a group, and this is where my leadership center started. I started a group called Core Group. Kit was mm-hmm. one of our original. And I started to, with Bobby Clinton over at Fuller, I started to imagine what does it take to form and develop leaders. Mm-hmm. So I started uh, Tuesday nights. I was a glutton for punishment. Mm-hmm. Tuesday nights, Thursday nights, and Saturday morning. I had three different groups from 5.30 to 9 o'clock, and I was teaching as much as I could about leadership principles. And g- give us a quick outline of a, of a simple leadership lesson that you'd give to yeah, folks. Yeah, one, one of the lessons that we, we taught was the significance of our person over and against our function. Mm-hmm. I, I just kept trying to emphasize in them, it's who you are, not what you do, that really matters. Yeah. So a huge part of that was the formation of our understanding of grace. Mm-hmm. And, and how does grace function in us, not just for our salvation, but as the foundation for our lives. And, and that was the beginning of my understanding I say to leadership groups now, just think of two big circles. One circle has all the principles of leadership in it, mm-hmm. and the other circle has all the principles of developing leaders, two different worlds. And, and I function in the second circle. Mm-hmm. True Face, Bruce, John, and I and our team, that's where we live today. Mm-hmm. But it started back at Open Door. John Lynch became a believer through our ministry, mm-hmm. went off the seminary, came back, and he started preaching in my place, and I got behind the scenes and really worked at developing leaders. That was my passion. And uh, then Bruce McNichol found out about us, started inviting us to activities he was having all over the country. And he and I sat down and wondered, is this something God wants us to do together? We felt there was a real vacuum uh, in understanding in a lot of areas about how to form leaders. It was like, here's the principles of leadership. But, but how do, where's the maturity to make the application? Mm-hmm. And so that's how we started TrueFace. In those days, it was called Leadership Catalyst. And it, it came birthed out of Open Door. Bruce joined us, and he's been with us ever since. We've been doing this now for 21 years. Yeah. And the heart of it is the friendship you guys have, isn't it? Absolutely. Tell yeah. us about working with these men. Well, part of our understanding is that uh, to understand grace is to understand relationships. To understand grace is to understand it has to touch my reality. We say to a lot of audience, if your theology doesn't touch your reality, it's because you don't understand grace. Mm-hmm. So grace touches our reality. And, and Christianity is a relational faith. It's between, on the vertical, God and me and you. Mm-hmm. You know, he says in the Bible, if a man says he loves God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Right, so you can't really separate the two. You can't separate. I don't think you can. I no. think the great evidence of my relationship with God is how I treat you. Yeah. I think that's the great evidence yeah. of it. And so, therefore, we understood together that it was going to require a real commitment on our parts to each other. So when Bruce moved here... We spent the first 18 months on our relationship. Didn't do any teaching at all. Never went really? anywhere. We just spent 18 months developing our material and working on our relationship. And then John taught with us, but he mm-hmm. didn't join us, I don't, I don't even know when, like 10 years ago, full time. Mm-hmm. 
but but that's been a core. And uh, just this week, Mark, we were in Portland with the Murdoch Foundation, 250 CE, Christian CEOs and board members, and, and we spent the three of us up front together sharing the principles you and I are talking about right now. Our whole theme this just this week was understanding the dynamic of our family of origin and how it affects our leadership. Thousands of leaders have never resolved their family issues and they've never figured out that it's profoundly affecting their leadership. What are some of those issues, Bill, that you find consistently out of whack in leaders? One is um, leaders do not know how to be vulnerable. They mm-hmm. do not know how to let others know who they are. And because of that, it causes them to hide. Hiding is a generational dynamic. Hiding will always, always put us in a dangerous place because in hiding, I am triggering my shame. Yeah. And when I trigger my shame, I am capable of making some really ridiculous life choices. And, and so when we, when we teach that, one is just shame itself. Mm-hmm. What is shame? How in the world do I even face the reality of it? But I never can until I tell you who I really am. Yeah. Ever. One of the scriptures that's a theme for me is 1 John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with Amen. one another, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. Amen. And that there's a difference between being forgiven and being cleansed. Amen. The cleansing comes when we're walking in the light, and that means we're being honest. It means we're not hiding. We're not pretending anymore. Wow, you'll never know. One of the key verses I used this week was First John 1. Really? <laughs> it really was. Because what, as you just shared that insight, one of the realities is this. We think of Jesus cleansing our sin, and we often think of the sin that we do. Mm-hmm. But see, he says he cleanses from all sin. He's, able, he's capable of cleansing me of the sin against me. Not just the sin I've done, but the sin that you do to me. And there's where the glitch is for many leaders. They do not know how to process the reality of what's been done to them. Yeah. And, and so one of those issues in many family dynamics is nobody ever resolves anything. It creates all kinds of family secrets, and so now I'm a leader, and I don't understand that unresolved is keeping me immature, so in my immaturity, I lose my objectivity, I don't live out of my convictions, I'm emotionally somebody that makes rash decisions, and then I wonder why people don't trust me. Yeah. You know, sometimes when I'm listening to somebody preach, I want to just yell, could you just tell us the truth about your life? (laughs) You ever get that feeling, Bill? Are you kidding? Let's not hide behind the gospel. Grace, Grace, my wife, will will visit a church, and she literally will hold my sleeve, Uh and she say, don't stand up. Don't don't stand up. Because of that same thing. How many times preachers will summarize, oh, we all sin. Yeah. No, duh. But what sins do you do, my friend? Yeah, Where yeah. do you struggle in the flesh? Yeah. Where is your reality? Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody needs to know, but somebody must know. Right. Uh, right. T- today, Mark, I do a, a lot of uh, leadership mentoring and, and consulting with, yeah. with key leaders in Christian organizations and in the marketplace. 
and often they see me after some particular crisis. Yeah. You know, so now I'm with them. Right. And, and I'll say to them, uh, are you sure you want somebody to help you? And they'll look at me like, what, are you the village idiot? Of course, I wouldn't be here mm -hmm. if I didn't want you to help me. And about an hour later, I'll say to them, are you willing to let somebody help you, but not on your terms? And they'll look back at me and they say, what do you mean? I say, what I mean is, you know, you have to own up. This happened because of you. Yeah. You cannot solve you. Nobody can solve themselves. Remember, we're a relational faith. We are gifted of God for each other. Yeah. And, and in that gifting of each other, we all, have we all have weaknesses and strengths. I'm working with a large church right now, new leadership, and we're going through a process of submitting to each other's strengths. And, and I, I honor them for their willingness to try it. But I also, second chapter will be, how do we protect each other's limitations? Yeah. I was uh, talking with a radio guest recently, Al Els, and one of the things we were talking about was God has given each of us gifts and each of us weaknesses and vulnerabilities so that we really do need each other. Absolutely. If the body of Christ is going to be healthy, we have to be connected, don't Amen. we? Amen. My guest is Bill Thrall, founder of Open Door Fellowship and Leadership Catalyst, True Face Ministry. We're going to talk about some of the books he's written, some of the truths that are contained in them, which are life-giving. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. My guest is Bill Thrall. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. Um, Bill, you read a, wrote a book called Bo's Cafe, which I um, read and shared with some of my men's discipleship groups. And what I loved about it, to me, is it set the stage for a fellowship where people don't have to hide, where they can Amen. be honest and and where it's a story of a man who had his anger issues and was blowing up his marriage and finally found a fellowship where he didn't have to put up pretenses. And that seemed to me to be your way of saying this is what we believe real right. church is all about. Right, exactly. Uh, interesting side to that book. Uh, we met through that book thousands of de-churched Christians, mm -hmm. Christians who found in the church something that hurt them rather than help them. Yeah. And we got emails, Mark, all, many of them that said something like this. How can you guys be for grace and the church? Really? As if they Isn't were that two, sad? As if That's they were two sad. separate realities. Yeah. 
So when we wrote uh, the book, and I say we because we write everything we write in team, mm-hmm. we're, tr- we're, we're really about this process that we're teaching. We live it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so when we wrote that book, our goal was to teach a process, a simple process of learning to trust somebody with me. Uh, humility, uh, we believe, is trusting God and others with me. God says in 1 Peter, he gives grace to the humble. And so often we think of humility as a Christian virtue that if you have it, you can't talk about it or you don't have it. <laughs> right. It's much, I know Moses said, I'm the most humble of all men. Exactly. Exactly. So, so really what it is is that how do I learn to trust others with who I am really? And um, that book allowed us to, uh, in a story, through a story, communicate the essence of a young man discovering others he could trust with who he really was. Mm-hmm. And in the process, it was used in the story for he and his wife to experience a healing because he never would trust her either. Yeah. yeah. See, what, one of my life lessons came through my wife, Grace, where she taught me uh, one horrible night for me when she told me she was really unhappy mm-hmm. that um, these were her words to me Mark Bill I cannot live in a relationship where only you get to love me why won't you let me love you why can't you trust me and I had never ever made a combination the Holy Spirit of God that night drew a combination together for me mm-hmm. and now we have a principle the degree to which I trust you is the degree to which you can love me no matter how much love you have for me. And that's true in our relationship with God, John 3, 16. Why do you think it is that when we're young men especially, we shield ourselves from our wives almost like they're an enemy, you know, that they're trying to get us and we have to fight back? Yeah. Part, part of it is because we're afraid to be known. Mm-hmm. We, we want to project into our wives and friends, somebody we're not. Mm-hmm. And most of the time it's because we don't like who we are. So mm-hmm. we gotta imagine it. And so we're trying to be this great guy for our wives. We're trying to do everything we can to please them. And nothing is more important than to be men they can trust. Nothing. And nothing is more important than for men to learn to trust their wives. Nothing. Because you can't experience love without trust. First Corinthians says, love always trusts. You can't do it. And so in Bo's Cafe, we wanted mm-hmm. the process to be understood. And uh, God has used that book. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of baseball players. They hand that book out like it's candy. Oh, really? Oh, my gosh. There's a manager of the big leagues. Uh, he probably has handed out over 500 of that Oh, book. that's wonderful. Oh, to every coach and manager and baseball player in his really? life. Because, because he he says it's that reality of men not knowing how to be vulnerable mm-hmm. that robs those men of their families. Yeah. And don't you think that's a lot of the reason why people drink too much and do things in excess? Because yeah. it's not that that's so fun. Being drunk isn't fun. No. But people don't know how to connect heart to heart a lot of times. Exactly. And Mark, that's the... Um, here, here's our our convictions. Um, Jesus died on the cross to give me eternal life. 
But he also did something else on the cross. He turned me, the sinner, into a saint mm-hmm. to give me a new life. And we're not sure, I say we, the collective church, isn't sure how convinced people of the reality of this new life. So many, many Christians, their whole Christian life is trying to change who they used to be into who they ought to be instead of accepting who God says they are. When I go around the world today, I say to people, look, our lesson today is going to be this. Who does God say you are? Who does God say you are? And, and, and Mark, I'll have them go to Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter mm-hmm. 4, and they'll, they'll, they'll get the right answers theologically. Oh, mm-hmm. forgiven and mm-hmm. beloved. And, they'll get the, and then I'll say to them, okay, around your table now, you get to keep a score. There's five of you at the table. You get zero to five. How many of you believe what you just wrote is true about you today? One to five. And it's amazing. Sometimes we'll get 2.79. I mm-hmm. must be an engineer in the room. But, but for most of them, as Christians, there's this incredible disconnect between who God says they are and who they think they are. And when I live out of who I think I am, I'm always trying to improve. But if I understand how to live out of who God says I am, I have freedom. And that freedom causes me to not have to be afraid any longer of who I am. So tell us, Bill, because I think I'm hung up on that to a certain extent, and a lot of our listeners are too. How do we... Um, I mean, here's how I've described it to people. I've, when I'm preaching, I'll say a lot of people go around like they have a low-grade fever. They're not so sick that they have to stay in bed, but they're still not feeling 100%. And that's how we think of our relationship with God. He's not so displeased with us that we're disqualified, but he's not that happy with us either. Exactly. And that's a, Mark hit right on the head, that's a tragic reality. It's a lack of of reality because God never sees me that way. God never, ever is disappointed in me. Ever. He loves me at the very core of everything that's true about me. We've made a mistake, in our opinion, theologically. We still are teaching that our sin separates us from our God. And it is impossible. Nothing separates from our God. Nothing. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Now, I have to admit, we've taken him to some weird places, but he never stays at the door. So it's, it's at that core of our conviction, am I loved of God or must I still perform for his satisfaction? Okay, well, what about the, the believer that goes out and commits adultery or something like that? Well, the believer who goes out and commits adultery has committed a sin. Mm-hmm. And tragically, I, I meet with some of those, yeah, those yeah, I realities. Bet you do. But, but the point is, that commitment of adultery is something God in love will choose to discipline, but he will never, ever let that commitment of adultery change his love for that person, mm-hmm. ever. And, and um, in, in our relationships with each other, most, most Christians fellowship on the basis of behavior. Yeah. They do not fellowship on the basis of conviction. They fellowship on the basis of behavior. And I have a great relationship with Charlie until Charlie screws up or I do. That's not reality. That's not, that's not what I need. 
I need you to love me even if I screw up. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about my pastor and my challenge in life, okay? So I had a pastor who led me out in the Jesus movement to love Jesus and believe the Word of God and all. So he gets involved in adultery, and we had to have him step down from his role as a senior pastor in one of our churches. And then he ends up leaving his wife, getting remarried, and I had to fight to keep loving him. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know what course. it's like to oh, fight and keep, oh, fight to keep in relationship. And then I'm living here, he's living in California, and then he does it again, and he blows up another marriage and marries a third woman. And at that point, I love him, but it's like I can't trust him for no. ministry purposes or whatever. Those are the you know? key words. We make a mistake sometimes of thinking that if I love somebody, I have to trust them. No, no, I don't have to trust somebody to love them. I may have to trust and let them love me, but, yeah. I, but I don't have to trust them to love them. In fact, that pastor particularly, no one obviously was able to help him get to the reality of his life choices. Yeah, Nobody. Yeah. And what I try to do in those circumstances is I'll sit with men like that and I'll say to them, what we're going to do together, no matter how long it takes, is we're going to discover the why. Mm-hmm. Why did you give yourself permission to do what you did? And and when did you give yourself permission? You see, in our conviction, the power of sin is not in the act of sinning. The power of sin is in the permission I give myself to sin. And what are some of those reasons? I, let me give you my yeah, guess, okay? Sure. I think some guys, like, you know when you described you were, you were working so many hours and ministering so many right. hours and you get disconnected from your wife because you, your adrenaline's going with the ministry and everything, and then after a while they're so disconnected, they, what difference does it make if, if they go out and have an affair or something because they're really so out of touch with... right the way God really wants them to exactly. live. Exactly, but that's a choice. My, my point yeah. on that would be is that somewhere in there they made a choice that something was more important than the commitments they had made. Something. Yeah. And when we help them discover that something, we can come back to the point where there's a chance for the hope of recovery. Amen and amen. That's a great word. My guest is Bill Thrall. Stay tuned. We're going to find out more about his ministry, True Faced, and when we come back after these messages. Welcome back uh, to Koinonia. Bill, this has been so interesting. I'm going to have to have you back as a guest again sometime. Love it. If you don't mind, give us your website and 
how people could find out more about some of the books right. you have to offer? It's simply uh, trueface.com. It's uh, it's a uh, opportunity for us to be able to say to people, uh, look, this is where we're at. Uh, we are trying to help people discover in their Christian lives the miracles of God's grace. That's what we're trying to do. And mm-hmm. so our first book was The Ascent of a Leader. Mm-hmm. It had to do with a modeling of character development. Uh, it was published by a non-Christian publisher. Uh, it was a crossover book for many, many mm-hmm. people. Uh, in fact, uh, Lord willing, Bruce and I are going to rewrite it this next year. Wonderful. We, uh, they say you have to add at least 40% new content. And uh-huh. in the last 19 years, we've, You've, you, we've, you could scrape together I was a say, little we'll bit. Probably, we'll probably <laughs> find enough. Um, and then we wrote... Uh, True Face, and mm-hmm. and that became the cure. Uh-huh. Uh, one of our books is a book called Behind the Mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a story of uh, a story. It's the principles of the process of the unresolved issues in our life. Um, and then just right now, like like last this week, last week we were in, we have a new book called The Cure and Parents, and it's a book not on how to raise children. It's a book on understanding uh, the benefits and and or the consequences of being a parent who is not trusted. And so one of the things we do throughout that whole book is teach these principles of grace in the context of a story, a family, on vacation, uh, listening to a podcast in in which they interact with these principles. Um, one One of the things we teach in there is that when our children are young, Uh, This, the force of our person, kind of puts them in control. But if we don't mature as our children are maturing, our children will never mature. They won't grow up. Mm -hmm. They can't grow up. They can't grow past us. I, I cannot lead somebody beyond my own maturity. Can't do it. Amen and amen. My guest has been Bill Thrall. Bill, give us your website one more time. Yeah, it's just simply trueface.com. Trueface.com. And God bless you and John and Bruce and your ministry. And you're modeling the Trinity, right? Amen. Well, I didn't think about that, but but it's certainly working. It's a good standard anyway. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you ever want to visit us at Living Streams, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale, 9, 15, and 11 on Sundays. You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. Thank you for being with us today. And may God bless you and let your dreams come to pass.